ready to create and grow the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. A bigger audience, more impact, and a new revenue stream. We'll show you how. I'm Jenny Barcelos. And I'm Sandy Connery. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. everyone. Welcome to episode six of the Soulful MBA podcast. Today's episode is all about a topic that we hear all the time mentioned by our clients and within our community. And the topic is authenticity. I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery. Hey, Sandy. Hi, Jenny. And we are here recording on a beautiful Friday night. We're really excited to share our views on the topic. So Sandy, since you teach authentic voice in our paid soulful MBA program. I want to let you start out and just sort of give an overview to our listeners about sort of our take on this topic. Sure. I actually really love talking about authentic voice and helping our clients really be comfortable speaking in the way that they speak and speak about what they want to speak. And I really think that this is the key to a sustainable and profitable business. And It's sort of at the essence, I think, of any entrepreneur. If you are not loving what you do and feeling really comfortable speaking and teaching or coaching in the way that you are meant to, it's I don't think you can continue. It won't last very long. Be a bit of a flash in the pan kind of business. And you and I have been exposed to a lot of different business, uh, entrepreneur, you know, schools and teachings. And one of them that has always stuck out to me as not comfortable, not cool, is that that idea of when you're going to build a business or starting to build a business and thinking about what area you want to specialize in or what niche market you want to dive into, that you pick it based on who can pay. What are those really profitable businesses that will easily pay, you know, a certain amount of dollars that you want to make per month or whatever? And I just think that is such a wrong way to approach business. And we saw it, you and I saw it many times that people would go, oh, the ophthalmologists have a lot of money. I'm going to build a business around ophthalmology. <laughs> chiropractors. And, or chiropractors. <laughs> and and there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with either of those industries. It's just, you got to love it. You got to love working with them. Right. Any of them. Like you've got to love, you know. Real the- estate agents. <laughs> We could go on. You could go on and on. Okay, Sandy, I just have to point something out, which is my own personal opinion on all of this. I think that there is a strong dichotomy in the genders about this. Like, I think Mm. men tend, like male entrepreneurs that I know and that we've been involved with in Mm -hmm. different courses and online training programs and in-person training programs, like men tend to go for like, how do I meet my revenue goal? Like, what? industry or what market do I need to build a product for? I think that traditionally like software or SaaS companies fit that bill. Typically like, well, we need to find a market that has a need and then we'll build a tool for it. And then I think women on the other hand, like a lot of the female entrepreneurs that I know are the opposite, like follow your passion and, Mm -hmm. and like, how do you, you have like 50 passions and how do you determine which passion to follow to build a business around? Mm -hmm. And I think that like our response to all of this is that, the answer is somewhere in the middle. Like the answer is at the intersection of what you feel drawn to do and what a marketer community needs from you. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like the short answer to the whole. Yeah, no, uh, you're right. You're right. And, and I, yeah, I, I, we witnessed that and I can tell you that most of those men who went after those, you know, those markets just based on the numbers, they didn't make it. They didn't, they couldn't, 
stand communicating with the owners or whatever. Like they just, it didn't end up working out because it wasn't an enjoyable process for them. Yeah. And I think like entrepreneurship, typically there, there are like the rare, rare exceptions that are overnight successes or something sort of close to that. But like entrepreneurship in general is kind of a long game. And if you're choosing to go into an industry or a market or to serve a group of people who you're not particularly drawn to serve, it's going to be really hard to stick to the -hmm. business when times get rough or when other things come up in your life. And so I think like, honestly, you need to have some, something other than just monetary motivation, keeping you going when the going gets tough. And like, that's, I think the real reason why just picking a market that's lucrative is not a good enough reason, because then even if you're super successful and you are that, that like, exception to the rule and you are an overnight success and everyone's praising you and you're making tons of money. Like it still gets old. Like you're going to be like, why am I doing this? This is my life is Mm -hmm. more valuable than this. So Mm -hmm. even under the best circumstances, I think it's, it's, you're going to get to a point where it's not worth it for you. And, and like in our market in wellness, like this is sort of tangential to all of you because you are all drawn towards like healing work, doing work to make people's like physical, emotional well-being better in the world. But at the same time, you want to make sure that you're serving a particular audience with a particular set of tools that feels good to you. Mm-hmm. And I think the number one question that we get from our audience is, but somebody's already doing it. Yeah, exactly. Someone's already coaching this. Someone already has an established YouTube presence in this particular type of whatever, meditation or type of yoga or coaching. Yeah. And so, so what I would say to those people and what I do say to those clients of ours is that like in in all measures, that is a good thing. I mean, that proves that there's a business there that proves that there's a market there for that particular service or good or product or course or whatever it is that you're building. In fact, from our training and work with the investors, when we were considering becoming a funded company you know, that's one of the criteria that investors look at when they look at a business and evaluate its like its feasibility and longevity is is like, is this a tool that others are like, is this similar to other things that exist in the market that are profitable? Because that, that kind of like proves that it's a good idea, that it's something people will pay for. So I just want to say that, like, you know, in this very public way to all of you who are feeling maybe concerned or uncomfortable or anxious about the fact that, you know, someone else or, you know, 10 other people or a hundred other people or a thousand other people have created the thing that you feel drawn to create. That by no means is a reason for you not to do it. First of all, it shows that there's a market for it, assuming those people are bringing in revenue. And second of all, they're not you. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to do it in a way that, that they're not like, that's just the way the world works. I mean, I just, especially if you're intentional about creating something different and unique, like you won't reinvent the wheel as long as you're intentional about it. And, you know, I I look at an example of that is someone like Gabby Bernstein, who I'm sure most people listen to, follow, know who she is, but she's doing the same work that Wayne Dyer did and, you know, a good part of what Oprah Winfrey teaches, but she's reaching a different audience. Her message is exactly the same. Even Abraham Hicks, it's the same stuff that she's teaching, but she's got a different way of doing it, a different way of speaking, a different, you know, way of framing it, different examples, different stories, and she reaches a different audience. And she could have said, oh, you know what? All the books have been written. All the speeches have been said. Nothing for me to do here. 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think whatever you're thinking about teaching, if you look around, that that is not a reason to stop sort of pursuing that. It's because your voice is valuable and needed and you're a different creative entity than anybody else in the world. Yeah. And you're a different demographic and psychographic entity also. So some people, even if the the content that you're putting out there were identical to someone else's, if that person is different than you, if they look different than you, if they're a different age or a different gender, or they have different life experience than you, like some people will be drawn to you for that exact same content just because of who you are, what you look like and how you show up in the world. And that's just the way we are as humans. Like we're searching for someone that we can relate to and I mean, no one is going to have the exact same social profile as you. And so by you creating something, you're going to draw in a different audience that maybe never would have gotten involved in whatever wellness activity you're creating if it were just created by someone else that they couldn't relate to. So, I I mean, I think that's why we have, I don't, (laughs) I don't want to generalize, but we have such a really great time working with men, for example, who are yoga teachers in our business because there is not enough of them. So there are a lot of women teaching yoga. There are not a lot of men teaching yoga. And so even though they may teach in the same style as someone else, like when a man puts out content because he is underrepresented in this profession or this work, like he, his, he's appealing to people that aren't drawn to like 25 year old women. And, and that's the same case for women in other markets and older people or younger people or whatever. Like you can find like where to put yourself in a given product category or membership category or whatever, based in part on like just who you are, like facts of your birth, your life experience. Did you travel a lot? Like, do you have military experience? Do you know, are, do you have like 20 degrees? Are you a doctor? Like all those things factor into whether someone can relate to you and, or are they interested in learning from you? And so I think I'm um, showing up like fully as yourself, as much as you can being really honest and open about your background, your biography is really, really important as you're creating programs, because that's a way to build that authentic connection with other people. And we don't need just one of everything. We want many, many, many people teaching the same topic, right? Yeah. Well, that's getting into my, (laughs) that's my entire like philosophical worldview. But yeah, I mean, I think there is no such thing as the exact same thing. I don't believe that exists. So every instance of every class or every lesson uh, is going to show up differently in the world. And as like a human species, we benefit from diversity. So I think fundamentally that's really important from a business perspective though. I think it's also really important to highlight how you're different because you're essentially carving out a part of the market for yourself by doing that. And, and not to be afraid to do that. I know, um, we don't need to be the same. And if you have a really unique perspective, then say it, like say, I'm going to give the example. We have been, been talking with someone who's business name is donut and down dog. And I mean, those two things don't go together, donuts and yoga, but this lady, you know, it's just, I think it's just brilliant sort of speaks to her personality and she seems fun. And I would like, would want to go to that location just because she was brave enough to, to put those two words, like pair them together. Mm-hmm. Unexpectedly. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. And, you know, I'll just say too, like my own experience and my background, 
like doing work. So uh, long time ago, before I became a software entrepreneur, I did work at the intersection of war and the environment. I was really interested in the environmental consequences of war and the way that military activities affect the environment and the way that um, military activities protected the environment and, and harmed it. Right. And so like, that's weird. <laughs> like, just to be honest, like people are fascinated by people who do things in unusual ways. And especially if you have like who you are and what you're drawn to is unexpected. Like what you just said with the donuts and down dog example, I think like if, if that's true for you, if you do have those inconsistencies or seeming inconsistencies in your profile, then I think it's really, really important to draw those out and not be embarrassed by them because a lot of opportunity can come from that. Like people, when you surprise someone, I think you have this really amazing opportunity in that first impression to convert them into like paying attention to you or following you or buying something from you. Um, that sort of shock and awe thing. And it's, and it's not like just a, a marketing tactic. Like I think it's a psychological way of relating in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is a tool designed to help you teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet. If you're a wellness professional looking to take your business to the next level, you can learn more at namastream.com. Do you want to move into our joint hustle? Yes. Let's move so into we're gonna, we're gonna hustle. We're going to adjust things here because we find that we, at the end of each podcast, we give our joy and our hustle. And uh, we want to talk about it more. And it usually is sort of key to the conversation. So we're going to move it up and give our joy and our hustle examples now and then just have a little bit more discussion around those. So I know you're dying. I know you're dying to give your hustle. Okay. Well, it's kind of a hustle. It's a hustle in the sense that it requires you to read something short and listen to something if you're interested. But I don't know how many of you follow Austin Cleon. He's a really interesting artist and thought leader. He wrote a book called Steal Like an Artist, and he has a huge following on Twitter and other social platforms. So if you're interested in learning more about Austin, we'll put a connection to him in the show notes. But I wanted the hustle to be to read this one post that he wrote a couple of years ago, like a little over a year ago, actually, all about how to find your voice, because it's essentially what this, this episode is about. And I just remember reading this post over a year ago and feeling really connected to it to the point that I remembered to go back to it today. So basically, he has this really, I think Austin has this very unique perspective on how to find your voice and why that question in some ways is problematic. And he actually references someone else who's a hero of mine. So that's like part of the assignment or part of the hustle is to go back and watch this video that's linked to in the blog post that we're going to post in the show notes. But it's it's actually a poetry workshop that took place in the White House a few years ago. And Michelle Obama's in there and there's some great <laughs> poets and a whole room of young of young people. And they're learning about poetry. And Billy Collins, who's one of my favorite poets, is there talking about how to find your voice as a writer. And I think a lot of what he says about how to find your voice as a writer and as a poet is extremely relevant to all of us, especially as entrepreneurs or creatives. And he talks about how like we mystify this whole idea of finding your voice um, and how that's kind of dangerous because we think we, we like put it up on a pedestal and say, like, if you just dig deep enough, you're going to find this like 
root version of yourself and your calling and what you were meant to do. And that's kind of not really how it works. Like he basically says as a poet, like go find your voice out in the books of other poets, like go find your voice out in the library, reading books and experiencing life. And I think that's true also for, for the entrepreneurial space. Like you want to go absorb as much as you can about your market, your industry, like the wellness space in general, like go and be a sponge and then come back and, you know, make it yours. Like you have to have a point where you sort of like cut, cut off that contact and that like constant drive to learn more and absorb more. And you turn it into something that's like authentic to you, but, but like allow yourself to go out into the world and, um, and soak it all in because that's the only way you're going to get good. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. to be honest, like you're not innately going to know how to like teach yoga classes or to build an online business or anything that any of you want to do. Like it's not in you. I, I guarantee you there's tactics there. <laughs> like there's, you have a lot to learn. We all have a lot to learn. And I just think allow yourself to do it. So my hustle is really about going and reading this blog post that Austin wrote a couple years ago and actually watching the video that he posts in the po- in, in his blog where he's linking back to this White House poetry workshop. And I know that that seems very unrelated to you and what you do in your business, but I guarantee you that it's not. So, But in, in that, I just want to expand on that just a, t- a touch more. In that talk, he says, go, like he says, the, the, the shelves of the library and find the, the poetry that makes you jealous, the, the poetry yeah. that you wish that you wrote. And if exactly. we move that into the business realm, you and I do that, I think, daily, literally daily, where we are yeah. watching everyone. And it doesn't have to be in the same industry, but we are following people, watching them, studying them. And there's some people that we will you know, Slack message each other and go, check this out, check this course out, check this Instagram, check this whatever out. And it's like, oh, this is fantastic. And it's it's mm-hmm. like part of that, watching that, it, we, we learn from it. And then there's a point where we say, okay, from Hillary Rushford, we heard the quote, eyes on your own page. And there's a point where we stop those outside influences and get down and do our own work. But yeah. it's so much more guided by what we've seen and witnessed and loved and reacted to when we read it or when we watch it or whatever the the media is. Yeah. You know, I think that's exactly right, Sandy. I think that part of that is it to me, this idea of synthesis, which, which is this like very undervalued or underrated quality that I feel like I possess and that a lot of people possess. It's sort of a soft skill. Um, and anyway, Seth Godin had a great blog post this week about like how we undervalue soft skills in our economy. And I was like, yes, go soft <laughs> skills. But like this idea of synthesizing and taking l- taking lessons learned from and especially other disciplines and other contexts and like bringing them back to your own, you know, your own work or your own worldview. And I encourage all of you, like not just to learn wellness and learn the wellness business market and, and like learn the wellness landscape, but really to go outside of like, I am a yoga teacher, I'm a personal trainer, I'm a health coach, like go outside of that and say like, I want to teach online or I want to build an online business and like learn from people who are doing that as like auto part 
or like, well, I don't know, somebody like fixes mm-hmm. cars and mm-hmm. has like an online business about that or like teaches baseball classes or like go outside of your comfort zone and learn how people are doing that successfully in other realms and then bring that back to your own profession. And I think that's like what you and I also do. Like I, that I pride myself on. <laughs> like no, that's your, that's really your wheelhouse. weird interests that don't make sense, like put together. Right. Like I, I, I mean, I don't, it's like not even on purpose. I just am like really drawn to other disciplines and I'm really interested in how like art and physics and poetry and painting, like all these things like come together and influence each other and allow yourself to do that as a business. That's all. That's the whole message. And, Mm -hmm. and like, you'll be surprised, like list, like pay attention to stuff you're interested in, even if it's seemingly unrelated to your business and think like, what lesson could I take or what strategy could I take from this other kind of business or this other kind of work or this other kind of teaching? And how could I integrate that into my own work? Yeah. I, I, it, and it's an exciting way to learn, you know, and you do end up doing things different than anybody else, which is the whole goal. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like creating something new in the world. Like go be brave and go build something new in the world that the world never saw coming. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, this is again, going a little bit deep, but I don't believe we have the current like laws, policies, institutions, like social fabric in place that we need in order to be able to thrive as like a human species. So let's go out and create those things. Like let's go see where the gaps are and make them. And Hey, we may fall or fumble or it may be really hard or it may be not really hard, but like it's worth it because you know, that's sort of the whole point of entrepreneurship is going out and building something that needs to exist. And obviously you want to do something in a way that feeds your family and yourself and your soul and your big account, but also hopefully has that higher purpose. Yeah. Legacy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Ready for the joy? Yes. Always ready for the joy. (laughs) So this week's joy is one of our favorite, favorite books called The Great Work of Your Life by Stephen Cope, who is a teacher at the Kripalu Center. And this this is so fitting for this uh, topic because I just wish this book was on more people's radar because the message is so powerful that if you just do the work, like there is something in, inside you that is ready to come out and you just need to, to really listen to those messages and those signals around you to find what that great work for you is. And it follows this, the, um, the Bhagavad Gita. So it kind of follows the, that story along, but it gives real life examples of people who are on their path, but kind of off and they, and just how they sort of ultimately have to make really risky decisions to come back to their path. And that's where they find some really true happiness. Yeah. So I also love this book. I think it's funny, Cindy, because you and I both mm-hmm. came to this book independently of one another. I have no idea how I discovered it. I don't even really know, you know, just maybe because of like past purchases on Amazon or something, it was recommended to me, but I studied the Bhagavad Gita. I don't, have you read it? Like the mm-hmm. original? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you read it in yoga teacher training? Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. See, I didn't, I read it in college. So I read it, I think with a very different lens. I read it in a, it was a class at university. I'm learning to speak Canadian, by the way, everyone. Mm. Um, <laughs> I read, I took a class on the literature and poetry of ancient Tamil Nadu. <laughs> for those of you oh, who are curious oh. and like for, for no reason, just because I liked India. And anyway, and I, and I read the Bhagavad Gita and studied it as, as like an academic exercise, but like was really excited to find this book because I, 
I knew of and respected Stephen Cope. And when I saw this come out, I thought it was like the greatest thing that had ever happened. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's all about finding your true calling. As Sandy said, it's like a joy to read. And Stephen Cope is not only talking about the Bhagavad Gita in this book. He's talking about like John Keats and other like thinkers and activists throughout history who, and he's describing like sort of how like Susan B. Anthony found her, her calling, like all these different kinds of people. Jane Goodall. um, yeah, Jane Goodall, who's also a hero. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Big deal hero. Mm-hmm. Like, love the women who work with the with the apes. Love, like, love them. <laughs> love the woman with the apes. <laughs> well, also like <laughs> Diane Fossey. Like, can we get a heads up for Diane Fossey? So, like, love those women. Strong, environmentally minded women working with apes in Africa. <laughs> but like, but it's anyway. It's just a great. It's a great, like, way easier than reading the Bhagavad Gita Mm. itself. Like, way simpler, at least from my own, like, memory of doing it a really long time ago in college. And it's it's just a great way to, I don't know, I think both of us, like, our entire books are completely highlighted and underlined. So... Yeah, I received that book as a gift. I was in New York City for the first time with a girlfriend, and uh, one of the students that I used to coach lives there, so we made plans to meet in Central Park. And uh, she gave, she said, I have something for you to thank you. And she gave me that book and I had never heard of it. I mean, I knew Stephen Cope. I had read his earlier work and it, the, the cover was gone. There was like grease stains across the cover. Uh, she had highlighted it and, you know, wrote in it and like in the back couple blank pages, she has like pages and pages of notes about very personal kind of reflections And it was like one of the most meaningful things anybody has given me. She's like, I've read it. I got what I needed from it. And I just know that you are going to love this book. And I remember going back to our tiny little apartment in Chelsea that night. And I just, I didn't want to go to New York. I just wanted to like stay in that, in that little apartment and start reading this book. So it is a very, very special book, but so powerful. And I love the way that he weaves this ancient text with these, you know, Gandhi's life and Henry David Thoreau and like just he kind of makes this really beautiful balance and it made me understand the Bhagavad Gita so much, so much more than I ever, ever did. Yeah. It's, it's really worth the read. So, and it's, it's a pretty fast read. It's like 250 pages or less. And so I just highly recommend it. And of course, we are not paid nor endorsed by Stephen Cope but or anything to do with any of these resources we're recommending to you. These are just like books and blogs and videos and podcasts like in our joy and hustle. These are things that have had a profound impact on one or both of our lives and things that we typically recommend to our clients and our programs. So, you know, this is just a peek inside kind of our mindset and what's worked for us as entrepreneurs. And with that, thank you all for joining us today. And we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Soulful MBA is not just the name of our podcast. It's also the name of our premium business course and community. If you are a wellness entrepreneur who dreams of growing your business online, but you're not clear on your next steps and you wish you had someone to guide you, then we've got something for you. Get Soulful MBA's first syllabus and three free video lessons by heading over to soulful.mba slash sample.